expressed on the following broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT, Take 12 Radio, or our affiliates. The opinions on this show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice and are those of the host, co-host, and guest. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. That's right. Welcome to Entitled to Overcome, exploring solutions for life today. A presentation of Take 12 Recovery Radio. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dave Fleming and the Monty Man. Get down with your bad self, Dave Fleming. Well, greetings one and all. Welcome to another fine episode of Entitled to Overcome, solutions for life today. With our friend CADC Level 2, Mr. Dave Fleming, vid. What's up? What's happening? Hey, we got some announcements. Uh, I want to get to right off the bat here so I don't forget them. Uh, The first one, Dave, is uh, coming up on July 17th is a fundraiser for Save the URS Club. Uh, This is up in the Portland area. Um, so it's going to be located at the Nova Learning Center at 740 Southeast 182nd Avenue in Portland. Uh, 3 p.m. music barbecue raffle, 4 to 5.30 will be speaker meeting. AA's Ryan B., 16 years, sobriety, and NA's Chet C., with 19 years clean time. And then at 6 p.m., will be a stand-up comedy show hosted by Unloaded Comedy. They've been uh, uh, on our program before. This event and concessions uh, are all by donation. 100% of the proceeds go to save the URS club up there. And that stands for Unity, Recovery, and Service Club. Nice. What, what's that date again? That is July 17th at 3 p.m. At the Nova Learning Center, 740 Southeast, 182nd Avenue in Portland. So if you want to be a part of saving uh, that great work that they're doing up there, um, for more information, you can get a hold of us here at uh, Take 12 Radio, uh, and we'll be able to, um, to send you that way. And then, coming up, location to be announced, on August 21st, from noon to 10 p.m., is the Recovery Rock Fest. And there's going to be live bands, stand-up comedy, food vendors, raffle prizes, kids' events, recovery resources, Take 12 Recovery Radio will be there. Uh, and the comedy show on barbecue is from, from uh, 6 to 8 p.m. is uh, dinner. And again, unloaded re- uh, recovery comedy will be there as well for that thing. So for both of those events, you can visit ResoluteMC.org for more information. So we were at the Recovery Rock Fest a few years ago. It it was an amazing event. They did an awesome job. And this is a family-friendly event, by the way. So bring the kiddos. There's going to be lots of games and goodies for them. Uh, So no reason that everybody has to stay home except for the adults. Everybody can come out. 
but we'll have more information, and we're putting together some advertising promos uh, nice. for the folks. Don't forget to go to Recovery Rock, Rock Fest. Fest. Yeah. 2021. Rock out, Dave. Do your little rock out. Choo, 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 choo. Uh, my hair is tied uh, up. <laughs> All righty. Yes, indeedy. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. What's next here? I think it's that time. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh. It's time oh. for Dave and Monty's Icebreaker. That's right. Ice has a new meaning these days. Doesn't it? <laughs> well, um, this robbery was the height of dumbness. Uh, this is an, this is a Colombian criminal event. Um, gosh, just say Colombian. It just brings all things to my mind, right? Was he chewing on them uh, cocoa leaves? <laughs> uh, robbers always look for the secure way so they can get away from the target location whenever they're robbing someplace, right? So they can get away fast. But these guys were not in any hurry to get out of town with the stolen cases of rum they had so discreetly taken from a local establishment their getaway vehicle a 10-year-old donkey. <laughs> yeah. Even the donkey was uh, was not uh, their own property. They stole the donkey, too. And they loaded him up with uh, bags and bags of rum, bottles of rum, on the back of the donkey. Uh, fortunately, the donkey was wiser than these two closed-minded oh, stupid criminals. Wow. And he started making noise. You know, that screeching... <laughs> Thing. Did the donkey belong to the police department? <laughs> no, that would have been really great, right? Um, well, they heard the loud screeching from the donkey, and officers were alerted. Meanwhile, both robbers ran away, leaving the donkey behind with all the stolen rum. Wow. So the donkey got the rum. The robbers got away. You might want to pick some. I mean, this isn't, you know, the 1800s. You may want to pick something a little faster than a donkey if you're going to rob a liquor store. It's probably one of those uh, spur of the moment ideas yeah hey let's let's go over there and take those it probably found a donkey <laughs> right <laughs> hey i don't see anybody around this must be uh <laughs> oh my gosh i had like these things pop in my head from oh look somebody left a donkey this god must have provided this donkey for us yes right it's god and then we're cruising on the donkey yeah and boy are we thirsty man it's been it's hot out here and we don't got no right. money. We don't got no money. So how are we going to pay for the? <laughs> Let's just. Take I know it. we could go down to the liquor store, <laughs> grab, run out, jump on the donkey, and yeah, certainly. Well, here uh, I have one other one here. Uh, this guy crossed all the limits of insanity. The mm. robber who was an eighteen-year-old named Reuben, Reuben, <laughs> he invaded a muffler shop. Located in Chicago. This is a thing again. People stealing catalytic converters. Yeah. Yeah. He's starting to do that again. Yeah. Uh, well, Ruben uh, invaded a muffler shop located in Chicago, mm. where there he demanded money by showing a gun to the staff. They couldn't give him money uh, because it was in a safe that only the manager could open. Right? Well, the brilliant Ruben left his phone number. So when the manager came back, he could call him to inform him when he would be available. 
Of course, staff called police, and police asked the staff to call the robber to tell him the manager was back. Ruben went back. <laughs> Ruben is very reliable. Wow. <laughs> he went to the muffler shop, and of course, he was apprehended by police. Well, Seriously? <laughs> that's what happens when you're named after a sandwich. <laughs> that includes sauerkraut. Right. Oh. Don't name your child after a sandwich. Oh. There you go. That's uh, That does oh. it for the icebreaker on this episode of the show. We'll be back. Oh, really big show. We'll be back right after this with, with the topic, the Asket Basket. <clears throat> It's the Monty Man, and I am inviting you to join me and my guest, Chris S., one of the most downloaded circuit speakers in the world of the 12 Steps, as we walk through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and walk through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, both conference-approved literature. We're going to be going line by line, page by page of these incredible books. If you want to sink your teeth into recovery and really get some filet mignon of what recovery is all about within these fellowships, then you need to tune into this show. All you got to do, visit Take12Radio.com, scroll down to the Recovery Workshops banner and click on Walking Through the Big Book are walking through the 12 steps and 12 traditions. There, you can download for fun and for free every single one of the workshops on both of those amazing journeys. Also available wherever you get your podcasts. Simply search for Take 12 Recovery Radio. Welcome back to the show. This is Entitled Overcome, Solutions for Life Today. Today. With uh, with Vid, Dave Fleming. What's up? Uh, so uh, Dave made the recommendation that we uh, we do uh, a question and answer thing. And so we put it out there uh, and announced uh, an Ask It Basket, which is mo- more commonly known in the, in the, area, in the arenas of uh, 12-step conventions where an audience will fill out little slips of paper asking questions, different questions about service work and that kind of thing. They throw it in a basket, and then the panel takes turns picking from the basket and answering the questions. So we, we threw that out there, uh, affectionately referred to it as the Take 12 Radio Ask a Basket. And uh, so I've got four questions here, Dave. Interesting. So um, I, I just, just so you know, I, uh, uh, our fans out there, I have no idea what these questions are. No, he does are. And I did that on purpose. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, and these are all really good questions. So the first one is, what is your definition of addiction? And this comes from James from Southern California. Uh, yeah. Mm. What is your definition of addiction as a certified alcohol and drug counselor? What is my definition of addiction? I can't even talk today. Uh well, I'm not gonna give you no scientific explanation. Okay, my brain doesn't doesn't memorize those kind of things. Okay, but basically, uh, in a nutshell, I would say I would describe it as you know you you uh you're basically your life has become unmanageable if you want to use twelve step 
uh, words. Lingo, yeah. Uh, due to uh, a, a minor mood-altering substance uh, or behavior. Right, because there could be behavioral right. addictions, right? It could, you know, you could have a food, gambling, sexual, whatever. Yeah. Um, and once you've identified what that is and you stop doing it, and then you have this uh, compulsion to return to that, um, and you're not able to um, function in normally, so your life basically becomes unmanageable you know you can't you can't do the day-to-day activities without participating in your whatever your, it is yeah your own your substance or behavior of choice right and it <clears throat> so it's a it's a re- I, it's a repeated involvement regardless of the harm that it's creating right right so there's it, a is there always a payoff when no. it comes to addiction it's either at one time well, it was pleasurable. Everything's or, there's a payoff. People get a payoff for everything they do, good or sure. bad. That's what. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. So when it becomes so harmful, though, that 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 the fun, let's just for lack of a better term, has gone, right? Yeah. Um. Then, at the very least, a person was involved in it because at least there once was what they perceived as a positive payoff, right? People you don't usually jump into something when they perceive it as a negative payoff right off the bat. I mean, there, there's so many components to this because what happens like, <clears throat> I, I know just from my personal experience of this, because I, I like to kind of talk about things in layman terms. I don't, yeah. don't want to get too technical, technical or... Counselor IS or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's like oftentimes what happens is we start out in our uh, using experimenting, right? As children, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the the average age that I hear is 12, right? Mm-hmm. Um, myself included. Yeah. And so somewhere along the line, we're, we're having some trauma or we're missing something in our lives. And so we find these group of friends or maybe it's just one or two and we start experimenting, right? With drugs and alcohol. And as we progress through that, um, to the point where we can't function without, or we think we can't function without that chemical, right? Then our, over time, our biology our chemical makeup of our body actually changes to the point where our body is telling us our brain that it can't function without this substance uh, or behavior right so we have to do this this is that's that compulsion right uh, to actually our tricks our brain into thinking that in order for us to feel normal right this is what we're doing right yeah and so uh, over time that the pleasure part of it becomes smaller and smaller and the negative becomes bigger and bigger. So the dependency, it becomes right. a, depend- a chemical dependency if right. it's a chemical addiction to where the body just is needing it just to feel normal. Right. Pa- party's over. Well, and, and it's we're self-medicating basically. Right. Is, is <clears throat> It's like whatever it is that we're doing, 
um, either has a chemical reaction from inside within our body or we're putting chemicals inside of our body yeah. to, to make that reaction, right? Just like if we go to the doctor and get a, get some kind of medication, oh, now I feel better, right? I have yeah. this mental health issue. Well, before you even find out you have a mental health issue, you're taking these chemicals that, uh, oh, wow, that works. Right. Right? And so we I get a lot of- better. And so through experimentation and street drugs, we find these things that actually work. Yeah. And so that's where, and then we eventually, our body chemistry changes and we become addicted. So the good news though, because it does change our DNA in our brain, the good news is that can be treated. And a lot of people don't think, I mean, I, I remember when the attitude of even many clinicians not too many years ago, was that, man, once you're a meth addict and you go down, I mean, when you're a certain degree a meth addict, there's no coming back. Yeah. And, and that's been disproven. We, we've watched people come right. back. Well, I, I just want to jump in real quick and just make sure we clarify the verbiage. It doesn't alter your DNA. It alters your chemical makeup. So the chemicals and the neuro pathways that right. we have um like jokingly years ago right probably when you were younger you yeah. used to talk about oh bring out some brain cells dude right right well what happens is those neural pathways get kind of burnt out and uh, but our body the human body is amazing it can create new neural pathways so that isn't that creating new dna but it's not dna no okay so everything i've read says it was okay and 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 i mean i because because part part of well doctor I mean doctor uh, not Berger uh, doctor Rob Kelly mm -hmm. talks about the DNA structures that because we talk about uh, you have to change the way you think right right and so part of changing the way you think is your DNA's you you build new DNA and and you can actually mm -hmm. pass that on to your children you can pass on addiction DNA to your children you well, can also pass on recovery. Well, it's here. all about, so, yeah, we're going to get into this. We, we could be talking semantics here? Yeah, I, that's what I think I think we're talking about because yeah. our DNA is basically, I mean, there's things that can alter us through that pass the, through the blood-brain barrier. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't, doesn't as, as far as what I've looked at, doesn't alter your DNA. Hmm. It's, but it alters the our neural pathways, neural pathways, and other. I mean, I'm not bio. I'm not right. really into the, the verbiage of biology, but I, the stuff that I've I've looked at um, on on different levels. Anyway, so because everybody, it's just like cancer, right? Yeah. Everyone has cancer uh, cells in their body. Mm -hmm. But they don't get activated. They need something to activate them. To activate them. them. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and that's a whole other topic. But um, same thing with um, your uh, the addiction or whatever you want to call it, right? Right. Is w there's some have a more predisposition to becoming addicts or become, you know, addictive personalities. It doesn't even have to be Because drug. of genetics? Could be, yeah. 
I don't know. I I mean, um, I I know Dr. Kelly says like in the case of alcoholism, you're either alcoholic or you're not, and that is something that is passed on genetically. You can't Whoa. develop alcoholism. Why not? You can't. Uh, according to him, you cannot develop alcoholism through alcohol abuse. You can develop chemical dependency, but alcoholism is a different story. But when it comes to narcotic addiction, you can develop narcotic addiction through abuse. He says. He says there's a big difference there. Okay. We should get him on you and him talk. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um. So we know it's biological addiction is right. It's psychological. We know. We definitely know it comes with social problems it's not a good thing right right um and, and it, of course it's definitely spiritual okay here's the next question what's the difference between 12 bleh, 12 step groups and i think this is a she that asked this uh and in parentheses she put self-help which i thought was interesting because 12 step groups aren't considered at least within the 12 step fellowships they don't consider them self-help but this is her perception. She said, what is the difference between 12-step groups, self-help, and professional addiction treatment programs? And this is uh, Peta or Peta from Hercules, California. Mm. You know where Hercules is? Hercules, Hercules. Over there by uh, Pittsburgh. And yeah, 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 yeah. Crockett's. Yeah, or, back uh, closer uh, to my old. Martinez and all that area. Yeah, stomping yeah. grounds. Yeah. Uh. Well, I think again, this is one of those things that's semantics on with the self-help thing because a lot of people consider twelve-step groups self-help. More people that because I'm going to meeting yeah. versus going to treatment, right? And and there's literature. So you, you're taking yourself. You're yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's literature out there that says there's nothing that there's there's no. There's nothing that's unless there's some some new uh, uh, studies or whatever that right. says that uh, no matter what you do, it, it uh, I can't even get my words out that I want to get in my brain. So whether you go to twelve step meetings, um, sit at home and read books, or go to treatment, there's don't there's not one that's more successful than the other, right? It just determines whether or not the person wants to make changes in their life and do something different. So it depends on on on, on, on how much they're committed to it. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. so I mean, it doesn't work for everybody, right? So right. some people will do better going to treatment. Some people will do better on their own. Some people will do better going to twelve step groups. Um, I've tried all of those. Yeah, and I've I know for myself that I have to get involved with other people because. Um, you know, as we've said before in the show, it's like the only thing I need to change is everything. And I'm okay with isolation, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with doing things on my own. And that's part, been part of the, the my problem. problem in the past. Ah, and yeah. so I, in order for me to change, I have to do the opposite of that. Gotcha. Right? Uh, are we gonna, so are, we're, if we're looking at what the difference is, is the yeah. difference is, is there, it's, when you go to treatment, it's, it's a more intensive form. More clinical? more clinical um looking at addiction and you get you know the individual help um as well as the group therapy right right um you're gonna do process groups yeah, you're so, gonna do one-on-one -on -one, you're gonna and it's gonna be a regular thing right, right? and if you're going to 12-step groups what the big thing is is like you're there to share your experience strength and hope not to get advice or you know or, or 
yeah or uh at, at least if get, you give while. advice really i mean it's it's kind of a just a venting session again for the layperson right and hopefully you hear some someone will share their story that can relate to what you you're going through yeah, it's um, like the uh, uh, what is it? Na Basic Texas says uh, the therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without right. parallel, and so they're talking about the fellowship one helping another with the program, which which is the book, and coming alongside. But in 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 a in a professional treatment program, you may get services like depending on the cost, <laughs> you may get brain scans, you may get MRIs. Oh yeah, um, there's all kinds of. I mean, they're going to talk more about the addictive brain, aren't they? Like the stuff we were talking about before. Yep. Then, gonna you, then you're going to hear the in the science, uh, the science of it. Yeah. Yep. You know, one of the things that really benefited me when I went to treatment was years ago was I, I was able to really wrap my head around the fact that I wasn't this horrible person. I was somebody who was ill. Yeah. You know, because I started seeing the science that was going on and, and it, it helped me drop the rock. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I remember uh, when that, that the light bulb went off for me, too, because I had gone through the whole, you know, doing, getting all the self-help books, doing uh, my yeah. own. I mean, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I just, you know, stop doing that. But uh, my thing was uh, I I couldn't get past step one. Mm. Right? The whole, mm-hmm. the talk about powerlessness. I mean, we, yeah. we've had discussions about this before. It's like, my brain's telling me I'm not powerless over nothing. Right. Right? Uh, I've already given up or I've not had power in the past, and I'm not going to give that up because I didn't like... Now that you, now that you have power again. Right. Right? You're not about ready to give that... And that so it up. wasn't yeah. until I looked at it from the disease concept, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, the fact that as part of that that disease is is uh you know i think we talked about this twinkie analogy right right um it's kind of the same thing if i go back to drinking mm-hmm. right my allergy kicks back up yeah and i the obsession I have returns a, i have a yeah. reaction yeah right every time yep just I like drink breaking alcohol out. i break out in handcuffs yeah right <laughs> sure um, so I'm, I choose not to go down there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been, uh, re- recovered, you know, right from that malady, uh, that malady yeah. and that, that, uh, Amen. sense of like hopelessness and helplessness and, yeah. uh, unmanageability. So, um, also in treatment versus a 12 step support meeting, um, you may have professionals that aren't themselves necessarily addicts or alcoholics in recovery. They may Correct. be book smart. Yep. And I and one of the things that, and I get it when people say, well, I'd rather talk to another addict or alcoholic, but there's something to be said about some of these book smart folks, right, that do have some very legitimate things to offer, and we should not poo-poo them just because they're not, quote-unquote, one of us. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah i think we throw the baby out with the bathwater when right. we get critical of that it's uh, uh yeah you don't i don't have to uh be a uh you know heroin addict to understand what they go through because i've had other things right or you maybe get i've worked because there's had, not really any normies really you know 
everybody's got something. If you're not a little off, you're not normal, right? <laughs> right. Um, when I was working with interns, um, one of the places that I worked at, we had actually before I came out here uh, from Minnesota, uh, I had several places I worked at where I worked with interns, and a lot of them are book. You know, they've got a education. That's it. I yeah. Mean, they're, they don't have really a whole lot of life experience, but they got a lot of book education. Yeah. Um, no uh, addiction per se, but they have, most of them have family members or friends that have suffered from addictions right. or are suffering or have, you know, died from that addiction. And so they feel compelled to give back to that, that sure. field to help out. It doesn't mean that they have <laughs> have to go get them addicted just to, so they can they can see what that experience is like because they've experienced it from the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get people that that try to you know uh, save people and take it personally if they don't if they don't re- if they don't don't respond successful. like they, yeah, yeah sure. Okay, uh, this this question comes from Steve. Do we answer that question or do we just? Kind I think of, we did. All right. Yeah. Um, so if you if if you need more intensive help, I would suggest going to treatment. If you can't get into a treatment program, I mean, if that's what you're looking for, um, definitely go to meetings. There's online meetings because right now we're in this kind of weird thing. Hopefully, things are opening up here uh, tomorrow. I think this is uh, on the 23rd, supposedly. Oregon. So. You know, there's options out there. Um, yeah. You know, uh, kind of do all of the above if you have to. Yeah. You know, read some literature, go to go to some meetings, watch some meetings online. There's meetings in the park. There's th- things that you can do, um, and kind of find your niche. Because meetings aren't necessary. Some people have had bad experience with meetings. Um, and so sometimes they're just meetings. It's they're just not, the meeting. Yeah. You know, I always tell people go to. You know, go to a meeting for for a month or two, um, or you know, go to one every day um, to find out a different one, not the same one. Because you really can't make a good judgment call right. on something by going once and somebody says something you don't like and you just judge everything by right. that. And yeah, a lot of times, people, I've heard this many times where it's like, well, you know, nobody really even said anything to me. Da 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 da. da. I feel like I didn't belong. And what happens is sometimes there's people at meetings, they get, they don't want to get attached too quickly. And so there's some of that, if they see you coming and you're, you're making a commitment, then people, uh, will reach out more, but you know, other meetings are like the first day they're like, yeah, I'll give you a big hug when you walk in the door. And it just depends. It just depends. You can shop around. Um, but you know what? It's kind of natural too. I mean, when I first came in the rooms, it wouldn't have mattered if they hugged me or if they shunned me. Right. I would have felt uh, like odd man out anyway. It's just part of the whole thing, you, you know, because I was odd man out. Most people aren't walking around addicted to narcotics or alcohol. Most people. You know, we do have a huge percentage of people that do, but most people that I would pass in the store or drive by, you know, weren't messed up like I was messed up. So right. I always felt like I was out, out of place. I don't know. You take away the drugs and alcohol, and sometimes you still feel out of place. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. This one comes from Steve C. from California. Um, Steve. 
So Steve wants to know, this is interesting, and I did some research on this too. I want to see what you have to say about it. Steve uh, wanted to know, um, if a person's not using any narcotics and they're not using any alcohol and they kiss somebody <laughs> that has, so I'm going to go with the assumption that mm. it's either it, it's ev- everything from a peck on the lips to a full friend, full full-fledged French kiss for five minutes. So let's go that whole spectrum, okay? Is it possible to test dirty if they're kissing somebody and swapping spit on a UA for drugs or alcohol? Is it possible? No. So can you you speak to the... um, Because the first thing I thought about was how, how UA tests are... They're metered like they set different ones are set at a different level sensitivity level, right? So I mean, you got to be like so sensitive that it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it, to be able to even track that? Yeah. Sounds like somebody's making an excuse to me. Sounds like it to me too. Sounds like somebody you know maybe got a dirty ua or something and it's <laughs> well, trying was to kissing so-and-so. excuse it away so here here's a here's some things that I've, i'm not giving you some ammo to use an excuse but um there is a couple of times where i've seen people test dirty for say um <coughs> thc uh and the one particular guy that i'm thinking about um you know he, he had he was on probation mm-hmm. or parole and he basically came, he swore up and down. He uh, went to his doctor, had his doctor contact me, um, and gave me some information, and I went and looked it up. And sure enough, the medication that he was taking, plus some over-the-counter medication uh, in combination, Made can a give a positive. False, false positive ah. for, for THC. Um, so he stopped taking the uh, over-the-counter medication mm-hmm. uh, and came in and tested again and uh, came out fine. Um, so it, it it it's interesting because I was reading I was reading on um, one law enforcement site that talked about alcohol mouth, and this is where uh, this is not a UA. This involves a breathalyzer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that that mouthwash, for instance, that contains alcohol can, um, I mean, you have to be pretty much within five to ten minutes of using the mouthwash, um, can do a test, uh, uh, a false positive for alcohol. And that actually... Now, are you talking about, like, I take a cap full or half a cap full yeah, and swish it around? Swish it around. Or are you talking about drinking mouthwash? No, no, not drinking it. Okay. Just, just using it. All right. Um, we should do some tests. But very time. quickly, it can, it can, but it's very, very rare. But it can show a false positive. Uh, it would be way on the lower spectrum, you know. And, and that if somebody was extremely intoxicated and they were using a lot of alcohol and you were swatting spit, it could come up on a breathalyzer, but not in a UA. Because, and so let me read this to you. So it, it, let me ask you this. Yeah. Would that ha- test have to happen right after they were swapping speed? That's what it sounded like. It, yeah, it would have or, to be within within a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So if you were driving and swerving all over the road because you were sw- sw- swapping spit while you were driving, you <laughs> might get pulled over. Wow. I mean, all the stars have to align, right? I mean, it's just it's it's. I just think somebody's going. I don't know. I'd be going. Yeah, that's a, that's a reach. But here here's an interesting statement. This this had to do with cocaine. Um, there's a minimum amount you need to be exposed to said Dr. David Jerlink, head of the Clinical Pharmacology and Toxicology at Sunnybrook Health Science Center in Toronto. Quote, it's very difficult to imagine a scenario in which the exchange of saliva through kissing transfers one person to another a significant amount of cocaine to result in a positive urine test. End quote. Signs of cocaine, an extremely addictive drug derived from South American grown coca leaves, shows up in the urine as... Uh, a metabolic after process uh, me- metabolic after processing by the body the detect to detect a drug in urine one has to be exposed to a significant amount of it and it has to be extracted by the kidneys the doctor explained i can't say it's impossible but it sounds extraordinarily improbable so your body's got to process. It's got to get through the bloodstream. It's got to right before you're gonna, you know, test positive. Well, I kissed somebody that shot up meth, and so I test positive well, and for that's, meth. And I that's doubt it. In in like you know, without like delving into the science, common sense tells me that that's the reason why people use all these different tri- things to oh, try yeah. to alter Golden come up with seal a, yeah, a stuff, clean yeah. UA is because you're you're flushing your system out with other substances right right um, because that also has to get processed through the kidneys and all the other stuff I thought it was really interesting because Steve told me that um, that the 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 place that provides these UAs couldn't even answer his question. I thought seriously, wow. Well, it depends on who he, he uh, who was answering the phone. Uh, or, ABS. Well, I mean, sometimes you have people that are just interns, or true, they're just you know there to. So the an- the the, the, the short work. answer is ninety nine point nine percent of the chance this is not going to come up positive. Right. Yeah. So if you're coming up positive, there's probably a good reason for it other than kissing somebody. Yeah, and if you know if you're you pop dirty on a, u- a urine test, you're probably using someone else's urine. Yeah, <laughs> not uncommon. <laughs> we know that. Oh lordy! All right, here's the last question, and this is addressed to you and me. What have you done to address trauma in your addiction journey? Hmm. Well, and that's the that's the big question. Right, because um, if you don't address the trauma, whatever it is, yeah, you're going to be doomed to repeat the the addiction or the behaviors. Yeah, because the addiction is just the a symptom. symptom of whatever's going on inside you. Yeah, right, especially with alcoholics and 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 like anger and 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 uh resentments and all that stuff it comes mm-hmm. out when you drink 
because mm-hmm. all the filters are turned off. All the filters are so off. So if yeah. you're an angry person or if you got stuff you're stuffing down, yeah. it's going to come out. Yeah. If you don't and you're just this happy-go-lucky person, don't have any problems, you're going to be what they call a happy drunk, right? Right. Uh, but to address a trauma, it's like... Uh, ask, Did you even know the, you had trauma? Ask in the, beginning? the question again. Um, Make sure I'm I'm hearing it right. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Is it what have you done? What have you done to address trauma in your addiction journey? Well, uh, short answer is well, I work the steps. Okay. Right. So identify what the issues are in step four. Right. Right. And then I. They talk about it with a uh, uh, pastor or a spiritual advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have to look at um, forgiveness is probably the biggest thing because, uh, as as most of us know, we can't go back and correct right. things. And forgiveness frees you. Frees me, right? right? I, and yeah. that doesn't mean I condone what they did. Right. Um, it, it doesn't even mean that I'm going to forget about it. It just means that I'm moving on and I have to forgive that person for, and, and however you want to look at it. I, I look at it this way. More often than not, the person that is doing these things, whatever it is, mm-hmm. is because they were taught that. Sure. Or it was done to them. Sure. Hurt and people, hurt consciously people. or unconsciously, they're just carrying on the same things that they were taught. Right. And sometimes this stuff is generational, right? Many generations. And so for me, I had to look at like this, you know, people were, you know, um, in their mess. Well, some people were doing the best they could with the skills and the things that they were taught in their life. Yeah at that time right yeah and so i have to look at that from the big picture right um and i know i tried to do uh i tried to not talk about some things and i tried to not deal with some things and it wasn't until i did uh deal with everything and sometimes it's just talking about it and then forgiving that person. You don't, they don't, you don't have to go to that person and say, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't need to do that. And a lot of times you're not able to. Yeah. Cause yeah. that person or uh, is passed on. Passed on. And that's where a lot of people healthy. get stuck is because, well, you know, I can't confront that person. Well, you don't have to, confront you don't have to person. confront them. Yeah. Yeah. That's because yeah. why would you want to like, it's like PTSD, right? Uh, it's bad enough that yeah you have to think about it, but to actually go and confront that person yeah. and have to relive that whole thing all over again, whatever it is, it could be you know verbal abuse, uh, you know uh, it could be abandonment, it could be um, you know sexual abuse, it could be a whole wide variety of things yeah. that cause trauma. It could just be little tiny verbal abuse. Over and over and over and over and over again for years and years and years. Why can't right? you be like your brother? Why can't you measure up like your sister? You're never going to grow up to be anything yeah. unless you do X, Y, Z. And that's that's traumatic stuff. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, I, I tell guys all the time, I say, you know, your trauma may be that you were never hugged. Mine might be that I was hugged too much. 
who who's to say right. what because we hear a lot of people say oh well that was nothing he shouldn't be upset about that you don't know the impact that whatever he's gone through or she's gone through has had on their life so don't be so quick to judge well people that say those kind of things should be ashamed of themselves yeah <laughs> or you know if, or they're in the middle of trauma or that they you know even sometimes it's you know it's a mental health issue right and <laughs> So sometimes it's a mental health issue and uh, the person was using drugs and they stopped taking their medication, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so now not only is there, once they're in recovery, does their, you know, they get cleared out a little bit, but also their mental health issue comes back sometimes, you know, full on. Yeah. And they're being told... Hey, you just need to knock that off, or you need to like learn how to have grow some self control. Just grow up, right? And if you, I mean, on some level, once you get all the pollutants out of your system and your yeah. brain, you can dial it back a little bit. But it, if you really have a chemical imbalance, uh, mental health issue, it's not going to go away entirely, mm-hmm. right? I mean, miracles can happen. I get it, but. There's Chances are going to be, yeah, you know, and if you were had some uh, clean time before years and years and years and you were on this medication and it was helping you and you're able to function appropriately in life, then there maybe there's something to it, right? Sure. And so let me ask you a question. People that are not, the people that are like not looking at the full picture oftentimes will... Uh, just say, hey, you know, uh, right? Just don't stop make those it. statements, right? Right. So, do you do you think that many times within the recovery community, people have received misdiagnosis from maybe a general practitioner because they didn't go to? A, I ask guys all the time. I'm just curious, who diagnosed you manic depressive? Well, my family doctor. So, not a mental health professional. No, just my family doctor. Interesting. How 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 clean were you? How sober were you? And they died. Oh, I I wasn't sober at all. Don't you think that there's a lot of misdiagnosis going oh, on? Yeah. We're diagnosing people before yeah. they've had any sobriety. When they're it's well, mimicking manic depressive uh, because how, they, hello, how about if I go to the doctor and I don't tell him what I'm doing, but I say I have these symptoms? Right. Maybe I'm uh, drug seeking or exactly. Who knows? Fill in and the then, blank. And then and then down the road they go, oh yeah, well I was diagnosed bipolar. Well, yeah, because it looked like that, but you'd only right. been clean two days. Well, and in you know, uh, alcoholics now, probably experience this more than any other. It's the depression, right? Right. Alcohol is depressant, right? And if I already have depression, and just kind of intensifies that, especially when you're not drinking. And so when I go to the doctor. I'm feeling I'm I I can describe all the symptoms. You yeah, know? and I'm not I'm not talking about looking them up and then going to the doctor. Right. I'm just saying, hey, this is what I'm what's going on. So there are some people that have been properly diagnosed, but mm-hmm. the doctor doesn't have all the information. Right. Or we lie to them, and or we lie to them, yeah. or he doesn't say, hey, you know, go. Uh, I recommend that you go to mental health, uh, and get properly diagnosed to see if you know whatever um because one they 
what happens is uh, individually, because uh, I know I've been there, it's like someone will tell me to go over here to another doctor. Um, and it's like, I really don't want to have to go through this over yeah. and over yeah, and over and yeah. over. Then I'm going to be more depressed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Cause we can all be all on the all fired up and ready to go and like changing it. We want to change everything, and then we get in the middle of the process, and then you know a few months in, all of a sudden we're being told now go to this doctor, now go to that doctor, go go to the you know mm-hmm. go to the you know the the dietitian and go to the you know the neurologist and go to the you know podiatrist, and it's like <laughs> what? I just want help. I just want to feel better i don't want to be so down all the time and so then we just don't do those things and we fall backwards and because i know when i I went i wanted to do uh uh, what was it the second time i went in first time or second time one of those times anyway one of the times i was in residential treatment this is a 28-day program but they basically you know first within the first week you get there they have you do an mmpi which is basically the psychological test that it's like 350 questions or whatever Mm -hmm. that you answer and it's developed in a way where they can basically analyze um everything about you yeah right uh and they can even tell it can even tell whether you're lying or trying to manipulate the test and and then they they have you know they've got doctors they've got pretty much they had everything and so i went in and got tested for adhd even though i already pretty much knew I had it or ADD. And so I actually did the testing just to, mm-hmm. you know, confirm or roll it out. Um, and then try to do as much as I could where I was there in that 28 days to do is to analyze as much as I could with the help of professionals. Yeah. So I could get ahead of a, a better start, you know, right. With, with uh, getting back to life. Uh, and that was very helpful um doing those things uh, and i recommend that if anybody's got any even inclination they have a mental health or anything go get checked out i went to um i went and saw a gal i just i lucked out i just lucked out i hit the right person right off the bat and she was a nurse practitioner and uh she interviewed i was i was dealing with anxiety and depression first thing she asked me how long have you been sober and I, I've been I've been cleaning sober for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and I remember her smiling. She said something to the okay. Well, we we could probably do a proper diagnosis or something to that effect. And that was my first clue. Oh, there's improper ones. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so one of the things she asked me, she said, "How late do you eat at night?" So she hit the nutrition thing right off the bat. And I'm like, you know, uh, maybe as late as six thirty. And my wife like. She nudges me with her elbow. Right, right. At you like know, eight thirty, eats, nine o'clock. He eats a bowl of ice cream every night, like at eight o'clock or something like that. She goes, "Really?" She goes, "Do you have a dog?" And I go, "Yeah." You take it for walks? Not too much. Okay, this is what I want you to do: have your ice cream. Oh, and by the way, I was also uh, suffering from really bad headaches, so I was depressed. I had anxiety, bad headaches. She said, I want you to go ahead and have your ice cream, but have it in the afternoon and don't eat anything after six, anything at all, and take your dog for a short walk every night. Let's do that for two weeks. It was amazing. Headaches went away. 
Depression went away. Anxiety went away. Yep. Now, she could have been somebody else and just wrote me a script. Yeah. That's what they usually do. Right? And then I would have been in a world of hurt, taking something that was probably harming me instead of helping me. You know, or, or it may have showed up in the beginning as feeling better, but who knows, right? So, and, and then I checked in with her on a regular basis for quite some time. Uh, and we we just kind of processed everything. Um, but heck, I, I had untreated trauma issues still, even though I had been sober. Right. And so she helped me work through some of those things um, by giving me some practical application, you know, that didn't involve heavy-duty narcotics. <laughs> now, I'm right. not saying that works for everybody. Right. You know. Well, that's where you got to start. But you well, got to start somewhere. The medical industry has this <laughs> industry has this thing called standard of care. Mm -hmm. And so there's certain guidelines that they go by uh, to, to do things like prescribe, right? Right. Um, and they're they pretty much stick to those guidelines because it's been designated that's the rule of thumb that way because that way they stay they they keep from getting in trouble yeah right if this is the standard of care then they keep then if something goes wrong they're they're not in within trouble. their guidelines and if they go outside of that then then things can happen and i uh because i've done this done some research on some of these things and well, one of the things that like statins mm -hmm. right if mm -hmm. your cholesterol is 200 or above, they automatically prescribe statins. That's just the go-to default. That's the go-to. Right? Yeah. Now, they don't look at, there's a bunch of other markers mm -hmm. that, they, that you, they're supposed to look at. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole, there's math and all this stuff and stuff that's, you're supposed to calculate these things. Right. And they don't do that. They just go by this marker and then prescribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. In most cases, right? And so... Unless you luck out and you got somebody that's really on their game. Exactly. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's hard uh, because of what I said earlier. It's like, now oh, I got to go to a different doctor because now uh, this, this one's not helping me. The first thing they want to do is prescribe something else rather than, you know, doing blood work. Right. You know, suggesting, you know, don't eat after six, take your dog for a walk. Yeah. Things like that. Um, so we got to we got to be our own advocates. We got to do our own research. We can't just take things all just the don't time settle. on Facebook. Just don't settle. Yeah. Right. right. Well, we uh, we are out of time. And uh, if you have a question uh, for us, uh, please feel free at any time. Uh, to uh, send it to us at take12radio at comcast.net. Wave bye, Dave. Bye, Dave. There. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll, we'll do our best to, to answer them. Um, and uh, we, we, can have, we can do an Ask It Basket anytime uh, during the show. So uh, if you have questions, uh, I, I hope this uh, answers some or at least helps uh, those of you in the four questions that we addressed. Um some really cool news is we are averaging um, 1,500 downloads per week on our show. Nice. Uh, we are still ranked number one under the category of mental health podcasts under the large largest host of podcasters out of all the major podcasting platforms, Podomatic. 
uh, we're still ranked as number one under mental health. Nice. Which blows my mind. Right. Right? Because there are mental health shows <laughs> that know what they're doing way better than ours. They've <laughs> been doing it for a long time. Um, I, I, I'm just... And, and, and that's because people that are downloading or clicking and then they, you know, the, the, the what do you call it? The demographic, uh, the, what do you call that? The Dianetics. When demographics. The Dianetics. Oh my gosh. Um, the well, demographics. That's yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's Chris, a whole different that, that's, whack that, job. That's yeah. Those guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, Lord Speaking have mercy. Speaking of cults. <laughs> Speaking of cults. All right. <clears throat> Bless well, I, that just speaks to, I think, what we've talked about before is, like, I think, you know, um, what we do on this show and what you what you do on other shows is, like, it's down-to-earth, real stuff, get, you know, to the meat of it. Yeah. Rather than the, sometimes people get caught up in the, the whole scientific and the mumbo-jumbo sure. and just talking to talk. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes people just kind of go, you know, nod off and go, okay, when are you going to talk about this real information? Sure. So, I mean, I think that's, I think that what's, is what sets us apart. I think you're Especially right. Especially in this time and age where like everybody and their brother has a podcast now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and their dog. And their dog. And their pig. Or hamster. And their <laughs> Guinea pig. That's what I wanted to say. I All right. Uh, so addressing what we do with uh, trauma in our addiction journey, uh, this gentleman, this recovery recording artist, Jerry Vandiver, um, he wrote a song basically kind of sharing some of his experience. And, you know, when this happens and that happens, you write a song. Right. Right. And that's the uh, that's the title of this song. Here's Jerry with his song. You write a song. When the one you love doesn't love you back And you toss and turn at three in the morning And you hear a train cross a distant track There in the dark some words start forming And you write a song Maybe it'll make the night easier to get through it Maybe it'll ease the pain But that's not why you do it It's not a temporary, momentary, ordinary passion You write a song Because you have to Monday morning and a dollar and change is all you've got to make it to Friday and then the car breaks down in the passing lane waiting for the tow well you could start crying but you write a song Someday down the road You'll hear it on your hometown station 
Or maybe gold will grace your wall But that's not your motivation It's not a temporary, momentary, ordinary passion You write a song Because you have to Something reaches down to the core And then something's there That wasn't there Long after you leave here Or maybe it'll change your life But that's not your reason It's a grip your soul Won't let go Extraordinary passion You write a song Because you have to Recovery music of Mr. Jerry Vandiver. Listen for more of his music and to visit his website, go to paddlesongs.com. All right. A special thank you to all those who sent in your questions for the Ask It Basket on this episode. I'm entitled to overcome solutions for life today. And until next time, this is the Monty Man along with Dave Fleming reminding you that because of God's grace, you are entitled to overcome. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.